Life Experienced will begin right after this. Hi, everyone. This episode will wrap up Season 1 of Life Experienced. I'll be taking December and January to gather more stories, and I'll return with Season 2 on February 6, 2019. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll take the next couple of months to catch up on Season 1, share the show with your friends, and dive into the world of podcasts. You never know what you might find. Enjoy the show. Life is made up of experiences. Experiences shape our perspectives and allow us to pass along knowledge. In this podcast, I sit down with listeners like you and find out that no matter who you are, everyone has a story to tell. I'm Ethan Smith, and this is Life Experienced. When I was... 12, well, my whole life, I grew up on a farm, but when I was 12, I remember thinking that I did not want a farm. That was, I wanted to get off of the farm. And by the time I was 18, I changed my mind and decided I did want a farm. But I remember as a kid, I wanted to get out of the tobacco field. Our guest today is Aldine Snow. Aldine grew up in the foothills of Northwest North Carolina, where farming has always been a major part of the area's economy. Aldine's family mainly farmed tobacco, and if you aren't familiar with the process of harvesting tobacco, here's how Aldine described it. All right, so for the people that aren't familiar with that, what can you just describe that process, what exactly you had to do? (laughs) To somebody who's never primed tobacco, you cannot describe that, but... um, you start priming tobacco early in the morning as soon as it gets daylight and it's still soaking wet with dew and you the at first you start at the bottom of the stalk priming it priming is harvesting it but picking the leaves but it's called priming and you start at the bottom and so you have to bend over and basically stand on your head all day as you walk through the field priming the leaves off of the bottom and you're sticking your head down in the other leaves, which are soaking wet, dripping. And so 15, 20 minutes into the day, you're just soaking wet all over from head to toe, and you spend the whole day walking, standing on your head, carrying a heavy armload of tobacco. And and as it dries, as the dew dries, the tobacco juice turns gummy and sticky, and that that water that's running down your head runs into your eyes and burns your eyes. That tobacco juice actually burns your eyes and it just gets stickier and gooier as the day goes on and then it then it dries, but you just have this sticky tobacco gum all over you. Your face, it sticks to your eyebrows, to your cheeks because your face is rubbing in the leaves as you're trying to reach down to get those bottom leaves off the stalk. And so you've just got this sticky uh, tobacco juice that's indescribable unless you've been there uh, all over you from head to toe on your, you know, it sticks to your, it sticks to the hair on your hands as you're reaching in there and will get so sticky that it pulls the hair on your hands as you're reaching to get more leaves. Based on that description, it's no wonder 12-year-old Aldine set his sights away from farming. However, as an 18-year-old, he changed his mind. Here's what he had to say about that decision. 
you said between age 12 and 18, you decided maybe I do want to be in farming. So what was it that had you convinced to go after that? The thing that I remember, there's probably other factors, but the thing that I remember was I liked the tractors. I liked riding the tractors. I liked plowing the fields. I did not like the priming tobacco or the the physical labor as much, or I didn't like it at all, but I did like the tractors and the plowing and being able to look back at the end of the day and see the field that you had plowed and the, the progress that you had made at the end of the day. And and I decided at that point to go into farming, but into uh, row crop farming, which is tobacco, not tobacco, but uh, corn and soybeans and wheat and uh, and try to make a living at that. So how did that go? Very poorly. Uh, it uh, the first uh, and and along the way I did try a little bit of tobacco farming and did try a little bit of chicken farming. But the the main focus of my farming years on my own was corn and soybeans. And the uh, the first year I just had a small crop. It was just getting started. The next year, I rented a lot of land. I don't remember exactly, but probably three or 400 acres of land and bought a lot of equipment. And I had a, a really good crop that year, and prices were really high. And I put uh, most all of that grain in the grain bin that I had bought. And then uh, Jimmy Carter decided to do the Russian grain embargo and the price of grain um, turned out in the end it was just a fraction of what it should have been uh, and cost me several several thousands of dollars from 1977 to 1979 wheat prices doubled in 1979 alone, the expansion of a Carter administration trade deal with the Soviet Union led to a 43% increase in wheat prices. However, following the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, the Carter administration backed out of this deal, placing an embargo on many U.S. exports to Russia. Among them were wheat and corn. This sent prices tumbling in 1980, right around the time Aldine was gathering up his first harvests. While prices did recover shortly in 1981 due to U.S. government intervention in the sector, this shift in global wheat demand sent wheat prices into turmoil for the next 10 years. Aldine reflected on the lessons he learned from his early farming years, and here's what he had to say. The second year, um, we had one of the worst droughts. In, in the area where I was at, probably the worst drought in my lifetime, and it was just a total disaster and just no uh, it, it wasn't just a loss it was just a total loss of everything and that that was pretty much the end of my farming although I did try it another year after that which was just kind of a, a, a poor year but not the disaster year that the previous one but that um, that was kind of the end of my farming at the at 18 years old, it really didn't occur to me that, that I could go broke farming because my father and both my grandparents had farmed all their life and people around me farmed and it just seemed like, you know, if you worked hard, um, you would be able to at least make a living at it. 
but I worked very hard at it and and went broke at it. At at the same time, there were other people my age or other ages that went into it who made a living at it and some that prospered at it, but most of those went into tobacco or chickens. Uh, I was in the wrong business at the wrong time that particular two years uh, to be. It was not a good time to be in the corn business. Aldine left farming behind and decided to go in a completely different direction. After farming, what happened then? When I think it was when I was 22, I went to work at a retail store that sold appliances and electronics and lawn and garden equipment. And um, this was shortly after the farming. And uh, I started at the bottom. I was making $4 an hour uh, which I think was either minimum wage or just above minimum wage. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't very much, even in 19, uh, 1982. Uh, my first task each morning was to sweep the floors, so that's about as low as you can start out. Um, fortunately, on the farm, I had you know learned to work hard and work long hours, and working you know twelve, thirteen hour day wasn't anything unusual to me and in the retail business at Christmas time you're always short of help and so at Christmas time at this particular retail store we were we were very busy and all the other um, employees were not wanting to work overtime or not wanting to work a lot of overtime and I was wanting to work all the overtime I could get because I was used to it and because I need the money since I was just uh, making $4 an hour and uh, just needed the money. And so I worked a lot of overtime, and that kind of got me some attention with the management and and was kind of the stepping stone that got me promoted to a sales job with the company and kind of the same thing repeated itself that I just worked more hours than the other people and eventually moved to the, well, by, by the next Christmas, I was one of the top salespeople, if not the top salesperson, um, partly because I worked more hours than other people during the Christmas season, but um, um, did, did well in the sales. And then got, after two and a half years with that company, got promoted to be a store manager of a new store they were opening up. What sort of things do you remember having to do as as the manager at that time? Because we're we're talking about when microwaves were new and televisions were still very large. (laughs) Televisions were very large and very heavy. Big screen TVs weighed a bunch. They were they were hard to handle, and microwaves uh, were a new thing. VCRs were a new thing, and you would pay. as much as eight or nine hundred dollars for a VCR and a microwave, you could buy some of the cheaper ones for really cheap ones, plain Jane models for three or four hundred dollars, but some of the nicer ones were seven or eight hundred dollars. This was around the time when Aldine met his wife, Penny. She was working in administration at a surgeon's office some distance away. But as technology improved and manufacturing methods advanced, the prices for electronics plummeted. Retailers like the one Aldine worked for were forced to take drastic measures, one of which was to significantly cut Aldine's salary. 
they, uh, they cut my salary, we had an agreement, and then things continued to go downhill for the company, although my store was still profitable. And to come to the end of that story, 12 days before we were married, they fired me uh, because I wouldn't take a pay cut, but also to make an example of me to the other store managers that, you know, this is what's going to happen if you don't take the pay cuts we're offering. And so uh, 12 days before our wedding, we were both unemployed. Uh, and uh, so we got married and went on our honeymoon with the idea, I guess, that we'd figured out when we got back home what we were going to do after that. Following their honeymoon, Aldine and Penny both obtained their real estate licenses, and due to some previous experience that Aldine had with Log Homes, they decided to pursue real estate and construction full-time. Well, that, that first year we were married and had a real estate license. We, we didn't make very much money, but we made a little bit of money. And I, I had saved uh, money when I was working at the, uh, the retail job because I, I did very well at that, and I'd saved some money. And um, we, you know, we got by just fine, but we didn't make a lot that first year. By the middle of 1991, you know, after we'd been married a year, we were starting to make a, you know, do a little better in the real estate, and the construction business was starting to take off by that time. Um, I'd started out just trying to sell log home packages, and I found out that most of the buyers and the banks wanted a contractor to price everything instead of me selling them a package and them going to find a contractor to build it. They wanted one person to do everything to where they had a turnkey price. And so um, about that time, I got my contractor's license and started offering um, houses uh, turnkey prices. We, we also... Um, Long about that time, about right after we got married, we sold the house that I had. I had a log house before we were married, and we sold it and we rented, you know, for six or eight months while we were building. But we built a new log house, um, which, looking back, it's kind of hard to believe we had the nerve to do that because we really didn't have the stability. But that's what we did. We sold our house and built a new log house, and that turned out to be a good thing because I used that as a model home to show other people. And that, um, in particular, while we were building that house, I became acquainted with a neighbor who had money to invest. And over the next two or three years, he and I would build three spec homes together and split the profit. He furnished the money and, and I did the work. And, and then I was getting some other custom homes to build. So the um, construction business, you know, took off, you know, in mid-1991, 92, it, it really took off and we were starting to make some money there. The economy, I mean, it had a few ups and downs, but the economy generally was booming and uh, our business was booming and the houses that people were building when we started in the 90s, most of what we built were small places, weekend places that were 1,200 to 1,400, 1,500 square feet. And that, um, in the late 90s, 
gradually, but it changed to where that these they were still second homes. They weren't primary residences, but people were building 2,000 and 3,000 square foot homes. They got much bigger. And, and the, everybody would just had a very positive outlook that things were good and going to stay good, and they were uh, willing to spend the money they had saved on a second home, or they were willing to borrow money for a second home. But most of them, I would say, was people that had the money. They weren't borrowing it, but they were not afraid to turn loose of it, and they were they were you know eager to to build a twenty four hundred square foot house where eight years earlier they might have built a fourteen hundred square foot house. So it was you know the very optimistic thinking time for the customers. Snow Realty and Construction became very successful. Penny would eventually take over the bookkeeping and the business has employed various real estate agents and carpenters over the years. It would all change in 2008 though when nothing in the housing market was going well for anyone. So when did you start to notice that change? It, it was still booming right through uh, 2007 and it started, I, I saw a little bit of a slowdown in our business in 2007, but it was still very good. And in the construction and the real estate business, still very, very good. Uh, just a very good market uh, through 2007. Then as, as everybody knows, in 2008, in November, uh, October, November 2008, everything just crashed. A huge part of your business, I imagine there was, you noticed very quickly after the economy kind of took that dive that things changed. As far as, did you notice that your customers, the way that your, the volume of business you were doing, anything like that? When did you well, first I, notice a difference? After that, we didn't have any customers. It was, it was pretty much no customers. It was, it was unbelievable. It was so good for so long. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about everybody in uh, in the real estate and construction business. And I think the whole, you know, the Wall Street uh, people, everybody. It was so good for so long that nobody saw it coming. And I mean, we, we went from building, and we were a small company, but we went from building 10 to 12 houses a year to one or two houses a year. I mean, that's, you know, that's a dramatic drop. And I think there was lots of people that I know that were, you know, that were building lots of houses that went to cooking steaks at the steakhouse or to, or to being totally unemployed. They just got out of the business altogether because there was no houses to build. You said you knew a lot of people that ended up at the steakhouse. I mean, what was it that made you decide to, to stick it out? Um, I kept thinking next year was going to be better. That was the main thing, I guess. Uh, also, I, I had a lot invested in in what I do. I, you know, I had actually when the recession started, I had two model homes: one in Fancy Gap, Virginia, and one in State Road, North Carolina. And we did during the recession sell the one in Fancy Gap as part of our cost cutting measures. We closed that office and sold the building. Uh, but but I still had a, this office down here, which we were living in and using as an office. But uh, I had a lot invested. I had a lot of, um, over the years, when times were good, I had bought real estate. And it, I felt like that if I got out of the real estate business, 
it would make it even harder to sell the real estate, which is selling the real estate part of it is what kept us afloat. And if I had just got out of real estate and turned that over to somebody else to sell, you know, they might not have put, you know, they might not have worked as hard as I did to sell it. And so there, and, and plus, I guess I didn't have any other options that I felt were better options that didn't, you didn't uh, want to plant tobacco again. Didn't want to go back to raising tobacco. <laughs> and that's it. Snow Realty and Construction has survived and Aldine continues to sell and build homes. He's happy that the real estate market has recovered, but he said he was also glad things have slowed down as he's gotten older. Aldine and Penny have come a long way since being unemployed on their honeymoon, but they are looking forward to more successes in the years to come. Life Experienced is hosted and produced by Ethan D. Smith and is primarily distributed via D-Sound, a decentralized audio sharing platform built on the Steam blockchain. For more information, visit dsound.audio. The music in this podcast is composed by Lee Rosevere and used under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. For more information, visit freemusicarchive.org. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like the podcast, be sure to share it with others. If you have an interesting experience that you want to share, please let me know by tweeting at Ethan D. Smith or visiting ethandsmith.com. And for those of you still here, Aldine shared one story about an employee of his who had an interesting perspective on sharing. I've hired a lot of people over the years, and some of them worked out great, and some of them not so great, but I had one employee. My my fancy gap office, the office that I worked, the, the upstairs main floor and second floor was a model home, and my office that I worked in was actually in the basement of the model home office, and I had a, a bathroom down there, and um, and sometimes it, working in real estate and construction, some days I would start out going to a construction site and get really dirty, and then that afternoon I might have an appointment to show real estate, so I'd need to get cleaned up. So I had had a bathroom there and had um, a razor, toothbrush, and stuff in the bathroom, like just like you would a bathroom at home, and. Uh, I come into work one day in the middle of the day, and uh, and one of my real estate people was there, and and I noticed, which wasn't unusual, but I noticed that he hadn't shaved for a day or two. He had a, had a stubble, and uh, so I went on about my business, went somewhere, and come back, and when I come back, he was clean shaven, and uh, and I thought. Anyway, I went downstairs and looked, and sure enough, he had used my razor to shave with, and uh, so that that was uh, a little, I don't know, alarming is the right word, but a little unusual. Anyway, I had to have a talk with him about using my personal stuff. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And once again, I'm Ethan Smith, reminding you to get out there and experience life. Over the past few months, my wife and I have been able to save some time and money and develop a whole new set of cooking skills. How did we do it? We started subscribing to EveryPlate. EveryPlate is a meal kit delivery service that's different from others you may have heard of because it only costs $5 per serving, which is about half as much as those other meal kits cost. 
Each meal features a recipe that's made from fresh ingredients and only takes about 30 minutes to make. The box of ingredients and recipe cards are delivered to your door each week, so all that's left for you to do is enjoy making the meals. If you'd also like to sharpen your cooking skills and enjoy recipes you want to make over and over, you can get $20 off your first box from EveryPlate by visiting lifeexperienced.org slash everyplate. That's lifeexperienced.org slash everyplate for $20 off your first delivery.